And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. And welcome, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. It's great to be with you today. Man, it's already Thursday. It's hard to believe that we have moved all the way almost to the end of our broadcast week. And uh, we're going to continue rocking and rolling here in the dojo. We're going to have Kenny Bruchard come on the other side of the break. And uh, we're going to talk about... The Protestant reflex. I, Kenny sent me this, and I wanted to dive into more details. And I thought, you know what? I I want to be surprised. I want to see exactly what it means because I think I know what he means by this. All of us have a kind of reflex, I think, in uh, a reaction to a particular stimulus. You know, if someone says something, you, we we have a typical reflex how we, uh, you know, react to it either positively, negatively passively, actively, and I have a feeling what we're going to experience with uh, Kenny is he's going to be talking about um, the Protestant reflex. And, of course, he's a convert from Protestantism. He's a former minister, in fact. So I always love having Kenny in the dojo, always learning new things from him. And that's going to be coming up on the other side of the break. This side of the break, folks, we're going to sharpen our critical thinking skills with the Finding and Fallacy segment. Today's Finding the Fallacy, by the way, is the Wishful Thinking Fallacy. And we're going to meet an early church father. Today's early church father isn't an individual per se. It's really in a writing by uh, someone we're not really sure who. It's called the Apostolic Constitutions. Now, you might remember earlier this week, we went over the Apostolic Canons, and uh, the Apostolic Canons are the last part of the Apostolic Constitutions. don't know why we did it out of order, but we're doing it this way anyway. So today we're going to talk about the Constitutions, learn a little bit about them, who they came from, what they pretend to be, and what they are. And uh, that's what we're going to do on this side of the break. But before we start all that, folks, I want to welcome you all to the show, <coughs> beginning with our live stream audience and, of course, all of you listening on radio around the country and also via podcast around the world, either through our handy-dandy phone app or through our flagship website, which is virtuemostpowerfulradio.org. And uh, indeed, yes, that's the place to go, folks. I know uh, we broadcast all over the country, so people hear this program at all different times of the day. And many of you are listening at work. Maybe you're going to be called away from your desk and you can't hear the whole interview with Kenny. Uh, don't worry, because you can always listen to the whole thing at your convenience. Just go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org, click on Hands-On Apologetics, and uh, just scroll down to today's program and listen to it whenever you'd like. And it's a great resource to share, tell people about it. And by the way, not only can you access Hands-On Apologetics, but you can access all the programs Virgin Most Powerful produces right there on the website. Also, I want to give you my email address. It's funny, I keep getting emails from all sorts of things. I don't know where they're coming from, but they are addressed to me. But the official way to get a hold of me, the best way, is through questions at handsonapologetics.com. That goes directly to me, the sensei, 
and I do answer your emails. Maybe not always in a timely basis, but nevertheless, I do. And by the way, if you have any suggestions for guests, I'd love to hear from you because uh, uh, there's all sorts of different outlets on social media. Of course, I can't listen to them all, folks. I try to, but I can't. So um, if you encounter somebody who's doing a great job explaining defending the faith, they like to get them a little extra exposure. I'd love to have them on the show. Just shoot me an email. Give me the contact info and a link to uh, their stuff so I could check it out. And if it's dojo quality, we will invite them on the air. And God willing, we'll have them. We already had a few uh, audience-suggested guests on, and they've been all spectacular. In fact, a couple of them are, have become regulars. So, hey, keep them coming, folks. I appreciate the input. All right. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that's about it. Let's go to our Finding the Fallacy for today which is the wishful thinking fallacy. It's one of those fallacies that the name says it all. Wishful thinking is a formation of beliefs based on what you might be pleasing to imagine rather than on evidence, rationality, or reality. It is a product of resolving conflicts between belief and desire. Methodologies to examine wishful thinking are diverse and, uh, yeah, so sometimes people can pose arguments that are in the form of just a wishful thought. And, again, what's fallacious about that is, you know, we're real folks. We live in reality. And so we want our, our uh, any kind of argument to be based on sources, credible sources, evidence, uh, rational thinking, not just pie-in-the-sky hopes and dreams. And although uh, many of us may engage in wishful thinking fallacy, it really isn't something that we should deal with, especially when you're dealing with important topics like the existence of God, his church, and all related items. Uh, that we need to have our feet firmly grounded on earth so we can peer into heaven. And that's our finding the fallacy for today, the wishful thinking fallacy. Okay, so let's meet our early church father for today. Like I said, I, I love Jurgen's Faith Early Fathers. It's a very diverse uh, group of people. And not all of them are people. I mean, we've even had epitaphs, uh, grave inscriptions, if you will. Uh, we've had uh, lectionaries, sacramentaries. Um, we've had all sorts of early church fathers. Today's early church fathers is actually a document. It's called the Apostolic Constitutions, or... Constitutions of the Holy Apostles by Clement. It's an interesting work with a curious history. In eight books, it is uh, the largest collection of legislative and liturgical material of so early a date. It uh, was written sometime around 400 AD. <clears throat> the work pretends to be apostolic in origin, uh, written out and sent around to all the bishops and priests by Pope St. Clement of Rome. In that respect, it is a forgery in the grosser and more impious sort, says Jurgen's Faith Early Fathers. Here, the use of Clement's name is not merely a uh, congenial literary device. It is a deliberate attempt to uh, deceive the reader. Uh, the work is maybe divided into three parts, embracing books one through six, Book 7 and Book 8. The first part, Books 1 through 6, is a revision of a work called the Didascalia of the Twelve Apostles. 
which latter work originated in Syria in a period uh, around AD 200 to 50. Mostly the Apostolic Constitutions is part simply uh, brings the Didascalia up to date on more recent legal and liturgical matters. For example, the Didascalia prescribes fasting in Holy Week, whereas the Constitutions extended uh, this to Lent of 40 days. So you have that kind of update going on with the Didascalia. In part two, which consists of the whole of Book 7, the Apostolic Constitutions can be divided into two sections. One section, uh, chapters 1 through 32, is an enlargement and paraphrase of the Didache, an apostolic father. Again, a father who really isn't a person but a document. The second section, chapters 33 through 46, is a collection of prayers of praise and thanksgiving. Chapters 33 through 38, instruction on the teaching of the catechumens and administration of baptism. Chapters 39 through 45, a catalog of bishops consecrated by the apostles in chapter 46, which list shows a knowledge of the pseudo-Clementine literature and of Eusebius' church history and morning and evening and meal prayers in chapters 47 through 49. The morning prayer in chapter 47 is is the greater doxology, the gloria of the Roman mass, and the meal prayer in 49 is almost verbally identical to that of pseudo-Athanasian concerning virgins chapter 12. A third and most valuable part of this is its final book, book eight. It is there that there are three sections, the first dealing with charisms in chapters one and two, the second with ordinations and blessings in three through 26, and the third with legal prescriptions, chapters 27 through 47. The final chapter, 47, constituting what is generally treated as a separate work, but which seems to also have been the work of pseudo-Clement, and that is the 85 so-called apostolic canons that we spoke about uh, earlier. The chapters 6 through 15 consist of entire so-called Clementine liturgy, the oldest extent complete text of the Mass. So if anybody ever asks you, what's the oldest uh, text we have of liturgy? Um, Then you could go there, complete text. It goes to apostolic constitutions. The work in its present form cannot be earlier than the year 341 AD because 20 of its 85 apostolic canons are extracted bodily from the canons of the Synod of Antioch of that year. It is probable that the work was put into its present form about the year AD 400. Uh, Bardenhuer, the petrologist, was of a mind that the techniques, knowledge, doctrine, and peculiarities of pseudo-Clement are such that we may consider uh, probable probability of identifying the pseudo-Ignatian, um, yeah, who had was responsible for the longer recension of the Ignatian letters. So Barton Hewer believes that. Um, remember, the letters of Ignatius of Antioch have a shorter, mid, and longer form. So he thinks. Actually, whoever wrote the longer form of those letters is actually the author of this particular work, which is today's early church father, the Apostolic Constitutions. All right. I hear the music coming up. That means after the break, we're going to be chatting with Penny Burchard. Penny Burchard.
of the Protestant Reflex State. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. Well, you know, everybody has a reflex, so I guess this could be apologetics reflexology. Right? And we're going to be talking about that with our good friend Kenny Bouchard. Kenny, as you know, is a convert to the Catholic faith. He served as a vocational Protestant pastor of several Protestant churches, serving as senior and founding pastor of a Protestant Pentecostal church in, South, in Central California from 2001-2013. He uh, completed a seminary degree and MA in New Testament from Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary. And uh, he also works for the Coming Home Network. So you can check out some of Kenny's stuff at chnetwork.org. He's had... Some fun stuff with Matt Swaim and, and Ken Hensley. I've been really enjoying your series with that. And here he is, the one and only Ken, Kenny Burchard. Hi, Kenny. How are you doing? Hey. <laughs> Hi, Gary. Great to be back with you again. How are you, sir? I, I am doing great. You know, it's one of those days where, uh, you know, I trip over my own words. But, hey, we'll get through this. That's fine. Well, it's uh, like you're, yeah. you're picking you're picking all this fun stuff to read from church history. You're going to trip over some some words there. We get a little <laughs> new vocabulary every time, right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. You you never know what you're going to find in the early church fathers, and That's there are true. some pretty strange, archaic words that do come up. So thank you for uh, <laughs> yeah. mentioning that. Yeah. So how have you Absolutely. been, my friend? What have you been up to? I've been great, uh, as you mentioned, uh, working you know with the guys at the Coming Home Network. The big thing we've been doing right now is a series on Mary. Uh, you know, questions that that we had about Mary before we were Catholic. So that's kind of the approach we take with just about everything we do. Many of us at the Coming Home Network were former Protestant clergy. And so that, you know, our mission is kind of like, let's let's unpack how we were thinking about things before we were ever Catholics and how we, you know, sort of made that journey, journey home, as you know. <laughs> and um, and so we just finished a multi-part series on the Marian dogmas, Mary frequently asked questions and so forth. And it's just a lot of fun. To, to sort of look at both sides of the, the world, you know, the Protestant and Catholic world, kind of what we're going to talk about today a little bit, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I've been really enjoying the series, too. Uh, let me ask you a question. Is, is it hard to go sure. back to your former self and kind of, you know, relive how you used to view the Bible and Mary and stuff? Yeah, it, it, it can be difficult, but I think it's an important exercise. Um, yeah. Because, you know, our, our heart is, you know, the heart of the church is the heart of Jesus to bring uh, all things together under one head, you know, and one shepherd. And in order to do that, we have to go sort of looking for these disparate pieces, these pieces in contrast, these pieces in polarity. And that can be really painful sometimes, um, but to, to try to bring them to try to bring them back together again. And so I think it's really important, and that's kind of why we structure things the way we do in a lot of our, our programs, is we, wanna, we want to talk to both sides, you know, like we're, and talk as both sides. That's kind of why I thought, Gary, it might be helpful to talk about the Protestant 
reflex. Uh, you brought it, you know, brought it up as the subject today. It's something that I proposed we talk about, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know if I learned the language from somebody um, else, but I use the language all the time. If I didn't hear it from somebody else and I made it up, fine, it's mine, attribute to me, but it's probably not. <laughs> um, but the Protestant reflex, my own terminology for how I responded, especially to Catholic things before I became a Catholic. And, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Uh, why did I, why did I do this? You know, why was I responding in these ways? I'm um, trying to pull back a little bit from my insistence that it's just because I had really good theology. Um, and of course I would have responded that way, but, but really like what accounts for my reflexive responses, especially to Catholic theology when I wasn't Catholic. And you got it right in the in the introduction. A reflex is an automatic response. If you go look at definitions for reflexes online, um, an automatic response to some kind of stimuli, very benign. So we're not saying it's anything bad here, but the the focus is, of your show is apologetics, right? Learning to to talk about our faith in in ways that help build bridges um, and affirm our faith. Well. We're, we're experiencing these responses from people all the time in these apologetics-oriented conversations. And some of them are tough to understand. Like, where is that coming from? Does, does that ever happen to you, Gary? Do you have these? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and especially with Marian teaching as a cradle Catholic. Right. Because growing up, you're so used to Marian doctrine and teaching. You're very warm to the issue. And then sometimes when you talk to our separated brethren, it's it's almost right. you, you know they recoil from the idea of you know having yeah devotion to Mary. That's exactly right. And I'm I'm newer to the team than Ken and Matt, and so you know I look at the YouTube comments of things that we get on our Mary series, and to me they seem much more visceral um, and emotional and 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 strong than a lot of the comments that we get to other content that we put out. So I'm right there with you. But I look at that and I say, that's the Protestant reflex happening. There's something going on behind all of this emotion. So just talk about reflex for, for a second, if that's okay. That We just mean that it's an automatic response. Catholics have reflexes too. Everybody in whatever faith tradition or non-faith or whatever you have automatic responses to certain kinds of input ideas that you're having. A reflex is kind of like stepping on a rake, like the way the rake is set up in relationship to your forehead and your foot. <laughs> and, the, and when you step on that rake, it's going to it's just automatically going to smash into your forehead. You know, like this is uh, there's not not a lot of thinking going on here. It's just a reflex. Um you know, like when the, when you go to a doctor and he taps on your kneecap with a little red hammer, you're, you're, if the nerves are wired in such a way, there's going to be a reflex. And in fact, if, if they're not, if there's a nerve problem, there won't be a reflex. And this is how we detect whether or not things are set up the way they're supposed to be. There's physical reflexes. There's emotional reflexes. There's mental and, and cognitive reflexes based on the way we've put information together in our worldview or the way we think about things, um, our, our concept of reality, 
uh, something that you talk a lot about. And when we hear information that is contrary to that, not just different, but seems contrary to it, it's like the foot on the rake. There's a violent kind of response that happens between those two disparate um, conclusions or types of information. And they're automatic. Like you're not sitting around thinking about it all the time. You're just wired in a certain way. And so I say, having now had almost five years to think about this since I've become a Catholic, um, that I had Protestant reflexes. And I want to talk about what those what those are. And to set it up, and I know we have maybe a couple of minutes before the break. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. So to set so so to set it up, set up what the Protestant reflex is. I want you to imagine you're in a local Protestant church, and you go into the adult Sunday school room, and nobody's in there yet, and there's a whiteboard, and on the whiteboard there's three there's three columns separated by two black lines. So you have a left column, a center column. And a right column. And when you walk into the classroom, on the left side of the board, you see the word faith. All the way on the right side, you see the word works. On the left, you see scripture. On the right, you see tradition. On the left, you see Jesus. On the right, you see human leadership. Left heaven, right earth, left God, right humans, left religion, right relationship, left God's will, right uh, man's will or man's choices, left grace, right, obedience. Now you walk into that room. The Protestant reflex, this is part of the thought experiments, which we'll get to on the other side of the break is, what's happening on the board? What, the person who wrote all those words on the board, what are they telegraphing by putting those words on the left exactly parallel with those words on the right. What do you as a Protestant imagine the person who wrote those words is trying to telegraph, trying to set up? What kind of conversation are we going to have in Sunday school class today at the local Protestant church on Sunday morning Sunday school? So I'm, I'm kind of setting that up a little bit before we, you know, before we come back to it um, and, and unpack it. This is this is where I want to sort of pave the way for unpacking the Protestant reflex. Yeah, because it, what it does is it kind of constructs the worldview, you know, how you view the world. And uh, yes. and it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not like the teacher will come in Sunday school and say, okay, here's the Christian worldview and, and here's the parameters and here's what you can think of what you can't think and here's how things are opposed and here's how things go together. Rather, right. it's like, here's the gospel, and, you know, and within that, you have all these, uh, you know, uh, parameters of the worldview. Exactly. So, so what I, so what I want to do when we start to unpack this is, is use that whiteboard of those two columns of words, these words on the left, these words on the right, mm-hmm. and, and look at those from inside of a Protestant reflex or the pro- the typical Protestant way of understanding why those words are, are put the way they are inside a Protestant worldview. And then also 
kind of end today talking about a, a Catholic reflex that's that's different from the Protestant one, and what we would do with those two sets of words and and why. So mm-hmm. so I now I'm set up. I've got my my words on the left: faith, scripture, Jesus, heaven, God, religion, God's will, and grace on the left. I've got my words on the right: works, tradition, human leadership, earth, humans, relationship, man's will, obedience. I've got all those on the right. I'm standing there. I'm I'm Sunday school class Kenny. What's my teacher gonna talk to me about today? I think I know. I think I know. I'm I'm Protestant Kenny. I know exactly what we're gonna talk about today. I know how this discussion is gonna go. My Protestant reflex is already kicking in. And just to, to give you a little taste of where I, th- I think we might be headed is when the class starts today, I'm gonna have to pick a word, just one word. And my teacher is gonna make me write that word in the middle column. And it's gonna be the word that goes between every single one of those words on left and right. And it's always gonna be and only gonna be the same word every single time. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I love that analogy. Uh, so let's fill out that uh, whiteboard when we get back right after the <laughs> break. We are chatting with Kenny Bruchard, uh, chnetwork.org, and talking about the Protestant reflex. So stay tuned, everybody. More to come right after this. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We are chatting with Kenny Bruchard, talking about um, the Protestant reflex. And Kenny, you set up the problem very nicely. Uh, walking into Sunday class, you see a whiteboard, three columns on the extreme right. You have a list of uh, various things. On the left, you have a list of uh, corresponding things. And uh, I'll let you set that up. But at, during the break, I was thinking, you know, you are a convert twice over because you were a non-believer before you came to Christ. And then, That's right. you know, then you came into the Catholic church and I imagine somebody who is a non-believer, if they walked in and saw that whiteboard, they'd say, wow, look at all the random thoughts up on the whiteboard. You know? it, w- it would seem, it would seem random to a non-believer. It would seem like just, uh, like I wouldn't know what to do with those words before. Yeah, the, I would put I would put them all under one column. I would say religious words, you know, or, or Christian <laughs> right. uh, words, and I'd say that. Well, the, the, what these all have in common, what they all have in common is that they are all Christian uh, r- religious words. But from a Protestant perspective, they also all have something in common, mm-hmm. and that's the little word that we have to drop in between them and we do this reflexively as as protestants because of the way we we set out to do theology oftentimes and we're taught to do theology in this way especially as we're respond, responding to catholics in our conversations with them so my sunday school teacher says we're going to be talking today about catholicism in our class and i've made two list of words up here uh, faith, scripture, Jesus, heaven, God, religion, God's will and grace on the left, works, tradition, human leadership, earth, humans, relationship, man's will and obedience on the right. Now, my my Protestant uh, class 
I am going to give you all an opportunity to think of a word that you think goes between all of these other words. And you only get one word. You, you only get to choose one word. And it's the one word that goes in the middle column between all of these other words. So immediately, my Protestant reflex finds one of two words. And both of these would be the right answer in the classroom. I'm either going to put the word or in that middle column, or I'm going to put the word versus, V-E-R-S-U-S, like the Giants versus the Dodgers, you know, or the Broncos versus the Dallas Cowboys. In other words, these are these are opponents. These are opposing ideas. They are in an objective kind of um, essential opposition to each other in some necessary way. They are essentially in opposition to each other. Now, this to some Protestant evangelicals could think I'm being a little caricatured in the way that I'm I'm doing this. I'm talking about reflex here. I'm not talking about, you know, really careful thinking people who drill down into these theological ideas and really work with them. Um, and because if you do that, then you, you would come up with maybe more nuance than the Sunday school classroom. I'm talking about street level, everyday Protestant church down the street, conversations about Catholicism specifically, and these big um, theological um, categories or ideas and how they are set next to each other. And the way they're set next to each other, especially in conversations with Catholics, is they are set in opposition to each other. So the word versus or the word or. And so there's this little axiom, you know, sort of axiomatic way of of saying what the Protestant reflex is. Like, well, okay, Kenny, what is the Protestant reflex? Uh, in a word, Protestantism. <laughs> Protestant. <laughs> in a word, the, the Protestant reflex is to protest or to use the concept of protest in theological thought and theological dialogue with Catholics, um, especially when we're trying to discuss words like the word on the left, faith and works. My Protestant reflex is I'm about to get into a discussion with someone where I have to keep these words really far apart. I have to put one way over there and one way over there. I better not let them touch because if they touch, then one is going to cancel out the other. One is going to supersede the other. One is going to ruin the other, pollute the other. These are so disparate, so different, so dissonant in their objective, essential nature that to try to put them together is to destroy them. This is getting down into the nuts and bolts of the thinking uh, inside of Protestant theology. It shows up in some forms of Protestant much more pronounced than it does in others. I'm thinking, for instance, of the faith and works um, uh, disparity in, in forms of Protestantism like Calvinism, whereas in a free will Baptist or Arminian um, framework, they wouldn't seem as disparate or dissonant as they as they do in, for instance, in Calvinism. But still, if I'm talking to a Catholic, if I'm talking to a Catholic, like even um, you know some of my Arminian uh, scholar heroes, when 
in dialogue with Catholic theological ideas, they almost sort of let go of their Arminianism, and they want to talk about how disparate faith and works are from each other as as kind of a, a, it's it's a reflex. If I'm talking to a Catholic, I notice this uh, uh, quite a bit. So the Protestant reflex is or versus. And let me pause for a sec because you've been, you know, like you've been a cradle Catholic. You've been doing apologetics your whole life. Am I on to anything here? Have you noticed this? Is this your ex- experience? Um, you know, like how how have you as an apologist experienced this? Yeah, no, you're hitting the nail right on the head because uh, that really is the core, you know, behind all of that mm-hmm. is this principle mm-hmm. of opposition. And uh, we're as Catholics, we're it's more like a principle of subordination, you know, where we can see both and, you know. Mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. one within the other. But mm-hmm. when it uh, comes, like you said, and it's not true for all Protestants, but in some right. areas, in some uh, denominations, it's very pronounced, especially with fundamentalist-type uh, Protestants. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's either or. It's this or that. And, uh, you know, and you're on one side or the other. You're in light or you're in darkness. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, in my own interactions before I was a Catholic, if I was talking to a Calvinist, I would sound very Catholic in my um, engagement around the theme of faith and its relationship to works, because I was not Calvinist in my in my theological um, convictions. But if I was talking to a Catholic, something would happen in my my brain. And it was a reflex. I thought, I've got to put this tool down that I usually use with the Calvinists and pick up the Calvinist tool that they use and use it with the Catholics. Because now I'm talking to a works-based, as I understood it, a works-based group of people. And I would actually more uh, readily pick up Calvinistic thinking, even though that wasn't my conviction. Uh, Because in my reflex, I was like, I've got to do this because I'm now talking to a Catholic, and I have now I have to stress the dissonance. I have to stress the disparity, the dislocation between faith and works, because I can't give any quarter, any ground to this Catholic who tries to see a synthesis between them. So it just really depends on, <laughs> like, who am I talking to right now? And so the Protestant reflex really is to see a lot of categories of theological discourse through the lens of, of protest, through the lens of dissonance, through the lens of polarity and dislocation. I'm trying to use my thesaurus of all these words that show how things move away from each other, essentially and necessarily. Um, it, you know, it comes up in conversations kind of like at the street level. If you're just talking to, um, you know, Jackie the Baptist girl, you know, just to pick a name and a denomination, and you start talking about faith and works, at some point, she's probably going to use this phrase, and this is a Protestant reflex phrase. She's going, eventually, like you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Jackie, eventually, she's just going to look at you, and she's going to say, Gary, if I have to choose, if I have to choose, between faith and works. Well, I choose faith. 
in her mind, in Jackie's mind, she has to choose between things. She has to, she can compare them, she can contrast them, she can analyze them. But at some point, her Protestant reflex, especially if she's talking with a Catholic, is going to tell her, and she's going to tell you, Gary, I have to choose between these two things. So if I have to choose between faith and works, well, I choose faith. If I have to choose between scripture and tradition, well, I choose scripture. If I have to choose between Jesus and human leadership, like a pope or a bishop, well, I choose Jesus. See, she's going to work down the list. Heaven and earth, well, I choose heaven. God and humans, I choose God. Religion, this is a big one, you know, there's a thousand sermons out there called Religion Versus Relationship. Most of them are preached by ex-Catholic evangelical pastors who say, well, when I grew up, I was raised in religion, but now I have a relationship with Jesus. And just by virtue of the way they structure the relationship between religion and relationship is that they are essentially, necessarily disparate. They just don't go together. Religion and relationship are not kissing cousins. They're 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 fighting opposites. Um, if I have to choose between God's will and man's free choice, well, I choose God's will. Or if I have to choose between grace and obedience, well, I choose grace. The Protestant reflex thinks that if you don't do that, if if you try to look for the way in which to hold these two things in maybe intention but together, you try to put them together, you are going to ruin one of them or both of them. This is this is the way that you just think viscerally as a Protestant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Very insightful. Uh, we're chatting with Kenny Bruchard, talking about the Protestant reflex. More to come right after this. You listen to Hands on Apologetics. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. We're chatting with Kenny Burchard. Talk about the Protestant reflex. And, uh, yeah, very interesting stuff, Kenny. So, and I'm sure to the mind that you said that the one tell of this reflex is, well, if I had to choose, I would choose faith. Mm-hmm. I would choose grace. I would choose, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Christ over human agency and so on. In their mind, of course, they're choosing God. I mean, the other option just isn't really an option. Right. Yeah, you're seeing at Exactly. You know, this comes out. Think of a think of a really very popular Calvinist writer, John Piper, who's uh, writing a book now on God's providence, and he believes in meticulous providence. So if you so if, what I mean by that, if you walk by a cigarette butt in a gutter on a street somewhere, God foreordained before the foundation of the world for you to see that cigarette butt right there at that moment, and that's what we mean by meticulous providence. Okay, God wanted everything to happen just as he uh, just as it does and he set it all up that way every single thing in the universe and he says this gary to your point he says why am i doing this why am i going to this great detail 
to talk about the providence of God in such meticulous terms. He says, because I want God to get all the glory. See? So in his mind, in his Protestant mind, if something happens as an accident, if something happens that never was supposed to happen, if something happens that God didn't want to happen, uh, like, did God want that to happen? If the answer to that is no, God didn't want it to happen. If the answer could ever be no, God didn't want that to happen, then somehow in John Piper's mind, this diminishes the glory of God. Because, again, it's there's that Protestant reflex that these two realities can't coexist. And yet we think as Catholics, you know, every day we pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in a sense, by praying that prayer, we're acknowledging the possibility that God's will is somehow threatened, that it might not, things, some something might not happen that God wants. So I'm praying that God's will will be done. Well, that's that's an idea that a Catholic lives in, lives inside of, and sets out to, you know, align our lives with the will of God, because we realize that if we don't, bad things can happen. So to your point, you know, it's always about when this reflex is happening, it's always, well, I have to choose this thing, because in choosing this thing, I'm choosing God. In a sense, I have to assign priority of first place to the thing that is most attributable to to God and God's glory and God's goodness and God's love. So if I have to choose. So if you know you're you're a person that does uh, apologetics or you're talking with Protestants and you're trying to have a conversation about them with your Catholic faith, if you hear this little phrase pop, well you know what Gary, if I have if I have to choose but boom you found it. You you touched doctor. You have touched the nerve. You know your little your little hammer just hit the nerve. You just found the Protestant reflex. The person you're talking to now believes that in the conversation you've proposed two dissonant ideas. One of them has to take priority over the other, and the other has to be diminished. So. Um, if we're going to continue to have a conversation with this, in our case, you know, in my case, a, a Protestant, um, and I want to talk to them about my Catholic faith, I have to see if they're willing to talk about things in paradoxical terms. And, and many, um, many Protestants are willing to do this. You know, Protestant, Protestants believe in paradoxes. But what I'm talking about specifically is when we are conversing with people, um, Catholic to Protestant. I'm just telling you, something happens. <laughs> it's yeah. like something happens in the mind where what I would normally do in theological discourse, I might suspend that, pause that uh, for a moment, and 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 because now I'm talking to a Catholic. What I have to be able to do is talk to my Protestant friend along the lines of paradox. I just uh, propose a couple of resources, Gary, that have been really helpful to me. Like when I was on my journey into the Catholic Church, I wanted to understand how to have dialogue between Catholic and Protestant ideas. So I, I first read this book I'm holding up. It's called Catholic Theology, and it's by Tracy Rowland, who is a 
prominent Catholic theologian and who wrote kind of a textbook on how Catholics do theology. And she has this very interesting little section that made me laugh when I first read it. I was like, okay, this helps me. She says that um, she's reflecting on in history um, some interaction that Karl Barth had with Catholicism in his writings. And she says, uh, she's quoting uh, Karl Barth. She says, he argued that it is the Catholic attraction to the word and, A-N-D, the Catholic attraction to the word and, that is the most distinguishing hallmark of Catholic theology, where he wrote, the greatest obstacle to reunion between Protestants and Catholics is a little word which the Catholic Church adds after nearly every one of our Protestant affirmations. It's the little word and. When we say Jesus, Catholics say Jesus and Mary. When we say um, obey Christ uh, as our only Lord, Catholics say and obey the teaching of the church and, you know, um, uh, when we believe the Christian is saved through the merits of Jesus Christ alone, Catholics say, and, you know, so so Barth is saying, I don't see how we're ever going to get over our problems, you know, in our Catholic Protestant discourse, because you Catholics like the word and too much. And uh, so now I jokingly say, and is one of my favorite Catholic words. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, so Bart, Bart kind of, in a sense, is yeah. telling you what the Protestant reflex is. But then uh, she she then provides kind of the Catholic reflex on the other side in quoting Cardinal Gerhard Mueller, uh, who was prefect for some time for the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. And he says this, uh, this is sort of the, now here's the Catholic reflex, the quoting Mueller now, the Catholic proposition has always been to avoid extremes, extreme alternatives, either God or the world, either God or man, either the cross or the resurrection, either the soul or the body. Life is imminent and contains imminent purposes, but we know, too, that the ultimate transcendental purpose is the one that crowns all existence. And then at the end, he says, Instead of thinking about life in terms of oppositions, we have to learn from Christian humanism to live joyfully and harmoniously on both sides of the same coin. So, in other words, the Catholic reflex. Well, what, remember what I said, the Protestant reflex is the word Protestant, right? Well, yeah, what's yeah, the reflex? Exactly. Okay, okay, so what's the Catholic reflex then? Same thing, Catholic. <laughs> the, yeah. the Catholic right. reflex is the word Catholic. Well, what does that mean? It, it means universal or the summing up of all things into the one, the bringing together of all things in heaven and on earth into Jesus. So in other words, we see as, as Catholics the Catholicizing of everything, not the, not the uh, polarizing of everything, but the bringing together. So in terms of apologetics and conversational um, difficulties. The way this shakes out uh, or can shake out so the conversation can move forward is to look <laughs> as much as you can, look for what you have in common and try to build on that. Try to build on that and know that when you're doing that, you're doing a, apologetics the Catholic way. 
if you go back to the Council of Nicaea, for instance, like this big either or, either Jesus is God or he's human. And the answer to, you know, to that was the Catholic word and <laughs> Jesus is God and man. Well, what percent? A hundred percent on both sides, right? So the Catholic, like the Catholic theological history is just dripping with the word and. And this is, uh, when we're doing apologetics, this is what we have to try to do with non-Catholics, is help them to see paradox as part of theological thought within the long history of the church. I just pause for, for a second and get your... Maybe your feedback as an yeah. apologist, if you you know what you see here. Uh, again, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, in my book, uh, Revolt Against Reality, I think ultimately it comes down to the incarnation, and specifically yes. Christ as head and body. That I think Protestants mm -hmm. want to accept Christ as head; they just don't care for the body part. You know, mm -hmm. so so mm -hmm. they kind of have to separate. You know. Uh, faith and works, soul and body, you know, all those dichotomies, mm -hmm. because one pertains to Christ as head, the other one pertains more to Christ as body. And so yeah, yes. everything you're saying really rings true to me. And I think it's very insightful. Uh, and you're absolutely right. It, it is part of self-identity, isn't it? That yes. if you don't put them in dichotomies, in a sense, you, you cease to be Protestant. Or if you exactly stop, uh, subordinating or coordinating, then you cease to be mm -hmm. Catholic. Exactly, and you know, so as Catholics, we do agree, don't we, that there are things in dichotomy. You know, God oh. and and Satan, good and evil, heaven and hell. You know, uh, and and that there are things that are are different, though they are complementary. Man and woman; these are different, but they but they go together. Um, and and so you know, light and darkness. The Bible does have these dichotomies, but we have to be careful um, when we start assigning that kind of relationship to things that the Bible just keeps showing us over and over and over again go together. You know, just you know, religion and the the big one. You know, religion and relationship is like, well, if I have some kind of f formal way of doing something. Is that antithetical to a relationship with God? Well, no. I mean, you look at how God establishes his relationship with, with humanity all through the pages of the Bible. So anyway, as, an, as a point of apologetics, my encouragement to anyone listening is look for the Protestant reflex. If you see it, try to find a way to build some kind of coherent dialogue with paradox don't don't give up i guess is a way of yeah. saying it yeah well kenny hey brilliant show thank you so much for coming on the on uh, the program we appreciate it yeah really great to be with you again gary i appreciate all you do it's awesome all right That's kenny burchard yeah check out the stuff chnetwork.org lots of great information and of course kenny has that great dialogue with uh ken hensley and matt Swain. And coming up next, High Impact Catholic Talk coming at you with the Terry Desmond Show. Thank you so much for listening. God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. You're listening to Calling the Sun. Bye. -bye.